What a great morning of singing. Um, one of the words we sang is out of Exodus 15, 18. Who is like you? Oh Lord, who is like you? Psalm 113, 5. Who is like the Lord our God? So much of those questions really are kind of what are driving the series that we're in. And Isaiah 40 provides this uh, three-word declarative response to it. It's basically, behold your God. Um, he is able to be grasped a hold of. And that's what we're doing in this series uh, for these uh, coming five months. Last Sunday, we began with three beliefs. Uh, number one, just putting it out on the table, being clear, we believe that there is a God. Secondly, we believe that that God is the God of the Bible. And third, we believe that that God of the Bible is radiant and great. And uh, we're building off of that. If I could say it this way, it just get you behind the curtain of, if you will, in my seat even. Uh, sometimes in a new series, it just takes you some weeks to kind of get there and to get your hands wrapped around and how this is headed out. And uh, so much of what's taking place here in these first few Sundays is kind of getting our way ramped up, heading up in, into beholding who our God is. And I just love as the basis here, A.W. Tozer's sentence uh, we've said and we will say again and again what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us uh, friend loved one know this the most important thing about you today the thing going on right now in your life the most important thing even beyond your checkbook beyond what's going on in job maybe in family other things the most important thing about you and me right now is what we view, how we view, who we view our God to be. Amen. That is the most important thing. And we're really starting here at this place uh, in this series. Uh, this whole series, uh, it could be said that this is about the attributes of God, but I would prefer actually not to use that terminology, even though I probably will at times uh, with it. It's, and I say that for this. Attributes uh, is kind of a, a, a creature word, uh, an us word. In other words, we could say that, boy, he, boy, she, she really is loving. He really is kind. Uh, uh, they really are patient. That is one of the attributes about them. They are a patient person or persons. But here's the thing we know when, when we say that. They are, and if that's true, but we also know this, they are not that, okay? They are not that all the time. Uh, that's a fact. And so when we kind of say uh, attributes or saying qualities of someone, but we know within that uh, idea that they are that, but they also aren't that. And when we kind of carry that word over into talking about God, I, I fear there's a bit of a tendency for us to think the same about God and kind of dumb him down. So if you will, I, I would say this, we are in a series about who God is. We're doing a series about who God is is. Know this, friends. God is love. Uh, there was not a thing around called love, and then God kind of did a really good job grabbing a hold of that. There's not a thing called patience and long-suffering that existed, and the Godhead is said, you know what, that's a good thing. We ought to embrace that. No, no that's not what this is about. You see, God is that. 
God is the very essence, reality, definition, founder, beginner of patience, of love, of these things. They're just not in and out aspects of him. They're not even kind of quadrants of who he is. These are who he is because they are who he is. He came before them. In fact, that kind of leads us into this. Uh, well, let's get started in uh, today. Our God is self-existent and self-sufficient. I actually want to begin these first weeks blowing our minds. Maybe I could say it this way, not that I'm going to blow your mind. Um, I don't know if that can happen. Um, instead, things that are above us, beyond us. Last Sunday, I had made mention that I hope one of the things that comes out of this is our pride decreases and our humility increases. I'm hoping here in these beginning Sundays that our humility increases as we behold who God is. So Radiant Bible Church, let's behold our God. Number one, our God is self-existent. He is self-existent. If you would, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter one, the beginning of the Bible. Our God never was not. Our God never was not. Here's the cool thing about that. We can't even understand that. Because what you and I do is we begin to track the eternity past. Let's go to not eternity future. Let's even just go to eternity past because this is where we're going. And, and you and I, we began somewhere. In fact, you know your birth date. And Psalm 139 says God even knows about you before you were even and I were even here. And yet in it, there's a fact that we are creature people. We, we see what is and, and what, what isn't. And, and, and yet there's this thing that is beyond us in this that, that, that God never was not. It's interesting. Even an atheist, when they consider uh, uh, life in this God-sized universe, and they track when it all goes back, you have to ultimately wrestle with that issue of so how did it get started? I'm not even talking about the methodology. I'm talking about what was. And the coolest thing about the Bible is we open the Bible up, and the very first page, and if you don't know it, that question is answered. In the beginning, by the way, that's even human terminology. You see, because we have a beginning, and this is really kind of making an, an eternity past statement. You know, when we began, there was this, that so we'll read in the beginning, uh, and yet, really it's talking about uh, in eternity past, in the beginning, God. That's what was in the beginning. But that's not even termed right. Because there is no beginning God has always been. And if you and I think we can put that and walk away and go, yeah, I, I understand that term. You're not thinking right. This is the kind of thing that should put us face down and small. In the beginning, God, plural, is that plural of majesty? Is that plural more than that? I'm not going to get into that today. But in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness is over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God 
was hovering over the faces of the waters. By the way, take just a quick peek because I want to kind of take a moment to talk about this God that has self-existed here because there's some hints. I actually think in verse 1 there's a hint, but go to verse 26. And then God said, Elohim said, let us, that's interesting, that's very interesting, let us make man in our interesting image after our likeness. That's intriguing. Go to verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created him. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue, have dominion over. I'm just making a notation here in the very first chapter of Scripture. We, we are given this, this answer to the what was. Where did it all come from? We have that answered there. And, and it's already leading us into some information about what this God was. There's a pluralness here somehow that we have to wrestle with. Uh, turn to John chapter 1 in the New Testament. John chapter 1. We, we have another text that talks about in the beginning. By the way, I'll note out of Genesis 1 that isn't it interesting that, that God didn't create one person and didn't create one per, or more than one person, then they're all the same two unique yet co-equal individuals to function together as a team. In the image of God, they were created. We, we come to John chapter one, in the beginning, isn't that interesting? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's important. He was in the beginning with God. God. So there's this word, this logos, that was in the beginning with God, and that logos, that word, was God. And we bring that to Genesis chapter 1, and we begin understanding some things. You had John 5, 26, the Father has life in himself, and he granted the Son also to have life in himself. I'm just going to cut to the chase. There's a triune God that has existed in all of eternity past. Our God is a triune God. Um, in fact, that term, it's interesting, that term Trinity is not in the Bible, but there's a whole number of words, theological words that we use that are not in the Bible. A divinity is not in the Bible. A Christology is not in the Bible. Incarnation is not in the Bible. Atheism is not in the Bible. Um, nanotechnology is not in the Bible. It's an ology. Oh, well, that, that didn't make it. <laughs> um, but we have this word called Trinity, and that's built out of this idea that all three exist as one. Three eternally distinct, equal persons of the Godhead existing in perfect fullness, in perfect equality, in perfect unity, in perfect relationship. Basis for that. Genesis 1, uh, even verse 2, the Spirit is hovering over. Um, you had John 1, and you have uh, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You had Colossians chapter 1. Uh, Jesus Christ is the creator of all creation. Jesus Christ is the agent of the Godhead that does creation. 
if you will, in that. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, the international version says uh, of Jesus, who being in the very nature God, not an angel, not a prophet. If you were here last Sunday, I talked about some of the various uh, religious viewpoints on who they view Jesus is. He is not a prophet. He is not uh, 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 an angel. Instead, we see her in the very nature, God. And... Uh, Matthew 3, 16 and 17, we have this uh, trinity, if you will, all together. Jesus is baptized, the Spirit descends, and the Father says, this is my Son. These are terms that Scripture does use uh, for these. Also, Revelation 21, about our triune God, the Spirit carries John to a high mountain, and then there is one seated on the throne who is the Almighty Lord, and there is the Lamb, who early in Revelation is the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ together, and, and also I'll note Revelation 2 and 3, the Spirit of God is the one speaking, uh, to saying to churches in this. There's this divine personhood, John 14, 16 through 17. Uh, Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither saw him or knows him, speaking of the Spirit, you know him, for he dwells in you. What am I getting at? I'm getting at the Spirit of God is not just this essence of who God the Father is. It's not just this uh, emotive kind of thing making another representative. We see from Scripture this unique reality of a triune God that has existed from eternity past. The God of the Bible, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit has self-existed in the beginning and will exist throughout eternity. Our eternal triune God is self-existent. <laughs> While you're recovering from the splatter, uh, I hope of, of mind blow here, I give a little breather. I love stories, I love movies that uh, are paradigm shifters. It's like, I never thought about that. Like for instance, the 1954 book, Deep, Deep, deep. Horton hears a who. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't born in 54, but uh, I remember as a kid having that book read to me, and I, I really do. I remember it's like, or Horton, who's an elephant, if, if you don't know, um, uh, hears a voice from a dust speck, and he thinks it's like something's there. And come to find out, cut to the chase of it all, there's a planet. It's called Whoville, who the Grinch visits later on in, in Seuss's world. Um, you know, and I remember really thinking, well, is there like a paradigm shift going on? Are we a dust ball? How do we know that we aren't? Here's a couple others. Turn of the century. Um, heading into 2000, all kinds of crazy stuff was going on. 1998, The Truman Show. Truman Show. Truman Burbank doesn't know that his whole life is being lived out. People watching it on TV, he thinks it's real life. But then he starts putting these pieces together and he gradually discovers the truth that it's all a fake. Remember, he swims to the end, to the door. <laughs> And it's a paradigm shifter of what you thought. Uh, for many of you, it uh, wasn't necessarily my thing as much, but 1999, The Matrix. I'm talking about a paradigm shift. Or in 2018, a recent one, The Quiet Place. My son got us on that one. 
Uh, it's where family and life exists on earth to where you can't talk out loud outside because if you are heard, you are hunted. Watch it. And it causes all life to be different. Those are paradigm shifter things that go on. And here, friends, here's the reality. You and I, we just go doing our life, you know, do to do to do to do to do going through doing our whole life thing. And the fact of the matter is, is we do live in a paradigm shift. Because we are not the only ones here. There is a God, he is the God of the scriptures, and he is a radiant great God. He is a triune God that self-existed in eternity past, and we have never self-existed. Our God is self-existent. Secondly, our eternal triune God is also self-sufficient. Self-sufficient. Turn to Exodus chapter three, Genesis, Exodus chapter three. Our God lacks nothing and is needed of nothing and is in need of nothing. By the way, friends, that includes us. Exodus three, Moses, who was an adopted son of Pharaoh, um, now has been out in the country for some 40 years. He's probably around 80 years old at this time. He's not looking for a job. He's not looking for a task. He's not looking for something to make his name great. And all of a sudden, while he's out with the sheep up in uh, Mount Sinai area, um, all of a sudden, uh, comes upon a burning bush. doesn't consume itself, which we can't fathom that. And, and that, that is the Lord. And uh, yeah, I do believe this, is hap- this happened. In verse 13, Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, after God had told them, go, let my people go out of Egypt and slavery, uh, say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them, God? And Moses, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. What an interesting, interesting term. God is self-sufficient. He is the I am. By the way, it contains the idea of self-existent. It contains the idea of self-sufficient. I am means that there are no needs that I have because I am. Are you holy, Lord? Note this. It's not, yes, I have that attribute as part of who I am. No, 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 it's actually, I am. What is holiness? God is holiness. It's not part of who he is. He is the literal source definition, the one. He is the I am of holiness. He is the I am of wisdom. He is the I am of control, of the one who's in control. You and I, oftentimes, we think that we're in control. We are not, friends. We are not. But God can legitimately say, I am. Well, <laughs> Pastor Doug, I actually don't think he's doing too good of a job of it. Okay. But know this he is in control. 
By the way, Jesus grabs a hold of the term. Jesus, through the gospel, says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Not a light. I am the light of the world. I am the true vine. I am the Son of God. And by the way, if I can just note it, Jesus also said, and know this, I am with you always. Turn to Acts chapter 17. Kind of last time I'll have you flip here. Acts 17, this is a text we actually uh, ran by in our last series through the latter half of the book of Acts. Created by none, owing existence to none, sustained by none. As you're turning there, I'd like to just read a few quotes I'll have put up on the screen here. Another one by A.W. Tozer. In the beginning, God was alone, triune, self-contained, self-sufficient, self-satisfied, in need of nothing. So, Doug, why did he create things? We'll, we'll be talking about that in another, on another Sunday. Millard Erickson says this, God does not need us. He is not fortunate to have us. It is we who are the fortunate and favored ones. Jen Wilkin says this longer quotation. Creating and sustaining all things, he is himself, is himself, I'm sorry, he is himself created and sustained by none. For all eternity, he is perfectly provided for in and of himself, needless of any aid, unflagging in strength, never hungry or thirsty, experiencing no lack. Nothing and no one outside of himself offers aid to him. She continues, because he created everything, nothing he has created could possibly be needful to him for his existence. If it were, then like him, it would have always existed. Our God is self-sufficient, needed by all, needed, needful of nothing, certainly not us. Finish with this. There are no voids in his being, no gaps he must fill to be made whole. He is whole already, wholly loving, wholly loved within the perfect, eternal companionship of the, eternity, of the Trinity. He created us gladly and he loves us infinitely, but he does not need us. Acts 17, verses 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath 
and everything. Beginning of verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. Verse 25, it just nails it. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. We need to be clear that God in his grand grace loves you and me. You and I need to understand this. The self-existent, self-sufficient God, although he loves us, he is not in need of you and me in any shape, manner, or form. We do not complete him. As I've been sitting on this this week, we are proud. In fact, look at our world, look at our culture. Our world, particularly our culture today, what does it champion? It champions people who are self-sufficient in themselves. You are the full package. If you believe it, you can do it. Because you are all of it. That is a lie. And Doug, now you're going to like take me in the gutter. Um, No. It's thinking rightly about who God is. And the reality of that with us. You and I are actually not awesome. We were awesomely created. But when the fall came, yeah, awesome kind of left. We're kind of creeps. And we don't like to hear that. You can go to a lot of churches and hear about awesome you are. But we're starting out this new decade as a church who's reminding ourselves how awesome God is. And that even includes this. Very transparent. You, are not, you and I are not needed for God to do what God's going to do. And I'm even talking about ministry. In the early, 90, in the early 90s, there was a famous song, I shouldn't say it, but I'm going to, there's a song called, uh, I'm Too Sexy. <laughs> I'm Too Sexy for My Shirt. That's kind of what our world is about. We just think we're pretty hot, and I will tell you, it can fall into ministry as well. Whether it's in small group, whether it's in a children's classroom, whether it's me doing what I'm doing. Oh friend, loved one, let's watch ourselves. You and I have never saved anyone. 
And oftentimes, today I can just tell you as a pastor, as a ministry person, that oftentimes so much of the methodology is put, well, this is how you need to do it. And, I, and I'm all for some various methodologies, but we need to be very, very careful because know this, only God draws a person to him. And to think that our methodology put in place to move people, I actually am becoming increasingly convinced it's manipulating people. We need to be careful. And even in your own family and friends and neighbors around, listen, you don't save every, anyone, but the fact of the matter is, is God has invited us to participate in it. And what I have just said is kind of one of those things, you can't say that because if you say that, then everybody will bag out of being involved in the doing of ministry. Wrong. When we see who God is and how awesome he is, that he is self-existent, self-sufficient, just those two things we can't even begin to fathom. And as we try to, we just put our, 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 ourselves around just a tad bit of that, of who he is, we get this fact, we get to participate in what God is doing, and he has invited us to be a part of it. But know this, water, plant, God gives the growth. And parents, for you with your children, Work, love, teach, correct. Oh, but get on your knees. Because they have a war with God in their heart, and you and I can't rechange it. Our God is self sufficient. We are not. He is not in need. We are. In fact, we were created by God to be in need. To be in need physically, to be in need spiritually. And isn't it interesting, I would just note this, Satan played the need game. Hey Eve, hey Adam. I'm sure he sounded creepy. God isn't giving you all that you need. You need this. And they bit it. God had created them to need. God had created them to not be self-sufficient such that they would seek their self-sufficiency in who he is. And when we get off kilter with that and we begin to think some other shiny object is going to bring us the joy and the happiness of what it is. Listen, you and I have all been there and we've all chased them and it just ends up not working too well, right? God has created us to be this way. In fact, the Beatitudes, the first Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. One way you could say it is blessed are those who are needy in spirit. Because we are in need. And the fourth beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Philippians 4.19, God will supply your every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And how interesting it is, how selfish it is, how much it shows a pride of who we are, that we end up taking a verse like that and we correlate it to our checkbook or to the next career betterment move. Could God actually be talking about something completely different than those things? I suggest yes. 
Because God is trying to do things in you and I that frankly, friends, he doesn't care how rich you are. He doesn't care how poor you are. He's trying to draw us closer to him. Because you don't, your need is not more money. Your need is not more stuff. Your need is the Lord God who existed in eternity past, is self-sufficient, and is the provider of the thing that we need, which is relationship with him. There was a guy in the Bible who was a too sexy for his shirt guy, King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel 4. King Nebuchadnezzar is out on his porch and it says, uh, I was at ease in my house, prospering in my palace. And as I was walking on the roof of my royal palace in Babylon, I said to myself, wow, I put that in. (laughs) Wow, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power and this royal residence, are I not awesome? And he finishes it by saying, and all of it for the glory of my majesty. And then the text goes right on to say, before he could finish it, God puts him face down in the grass like a cow. Humbled him. And then it says, until you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Friends, we were created by, placed here by, in a God-sized universe by the eternal, triune, self-existent, self-sufficient God for his perfect purposes and glory. And here's the thing. This is not a time to walk out and go, wow, I went to church over there today. My goodness. I walked out feeling like crud. That's not the point. The point is to lift our eyes as we're ramping up to beholding who God is. And just understanding the reality of the magnitude of who he is in an increased way. And just to have that beholding all of it. And seeing that, oh my God is awesome. In fact, let me finish or come to conclusion with a longer quote by A.W. Tozer. He says this. The human mind being created has an understandable uneasiness about the uncreated. We do not find it comfortable to allow for the presence of one who is wholly outside of the circle of our familiar knowledge. We tend to be disquieted by the thought of one who does not account to us for his being, who is responsible to no one, who is self-existent, self-dependent, and self-sufficient. He continues, to admit that there is one who lies beyond us, who exists outside of all of our categories, who will not be dismissed with a name, who will not appear before the bar of our reason, nor submit to our curious inquiries. This requires a greater deal of humility more than most of us possess. So we save face by thinking God down to our level, or at least down to where we can manage him, yet how he eludes us. Last paragraph. For he is everywhere while he is nowhere. For where has to do with matter and space, and God is independent of both. He is unaffected by time or motion, is wholly self-dependent, 
and owes nothing to the worlds his hands have made. And yet here's the awesome thing. The second person of the Trinity, out of grace and love for broken people like us, put his boots on the ground and went to the cross to die for us and to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. You see, this is where we stand back and we go, oh my, this is awesome. I'd like to finish by reading Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40, and then we're, we're going to take communion. Isaiah 40. God's people were not in a good place at this time. I could summarize it this way. God's people for years, decades, centuries have been seeing God quite small. And so God humbles them, spreads them out, allows them to be conquered over. And just listen to the words of Isaiah. Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord hands double for all her sins. A voice cries. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people our grass, the grass withers, flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, says the cities of Judah. Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. How cool is that? Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the Lord, behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. 
To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot, but he seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither. The tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not be faint. What an awesome God. And that God is the God who came and did for you and I what we could not do for ourselves. By the way, friends, this whole idea that we think that we can work towards making ourselves presentable to a holy God, how foolish and how forsaken is that? How arrogant is that, that we think that we can put ourselves together and present ourselves to God? No, he has done something far better than that. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, has come and has died on the cross, risen from the dead, and made his work available to all who would receive him. And if you've never received Christ as your Savior, oh, I would implore you to consider doing that today. Get with someone and talk about that.